Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage Podcast with Greg Gregory. Join us as Greg interviews powerful thought leaders and successful team and leadership experts from across the country on teamwork, leadership, and organizational culture. Now let's check in for this week's episode. Welcome to the Teamwork Advantage, a podcast dedicated to teamwork, leadership, and culture. Hi, everybody. My name is Greg Gregory, founder, host, and creator of the Teamwork Advantage. Over the last year and a half, we've had a chance to chat with a whole lot of different folks on different topics in the areas of teamwork, leadership, and culture. And today, we're privileged to have joining us an executive from the Internal Revenue Service, Keith Taylor. Now, Keith is retired, but over the years, he is an accomplished executive, significant achievements and expertise in transformational change. And as we know, in the last 18 months, change has been a big issue. He's worked on implementing complex programs, developing executive and executing corporate level strategies that lead to sustainable, and there's the key word here, sustainable results. Keith has led several organizations and projects, all focused on providing internal customer support as well as customer and taxpayer attention. Of significant importance was his leadership of the Compliance Realignment Project, which impacted multiple internal revenue service organizations and improved customer taxpayer service. And all of those, he created teams that were highly functional, collaborative, forward-thinking, and employee-driven. He's also received the Secretary of Treasury, and the Internal Revenue Service Commissioner Awards. Keith Taylor, welcome to the Teamwork Advantage. Thank you, Greg. Good morning. Good morning. I'm excited to have you with us here today. And, you know, unlike a lot of our guests, you've got a background that was pretty straightforward and moving from college all the way through. So tell us a little bit about how you got into and what brought you to the being able to develop executives, because let's face it, developing an executive is sometimes a little more challenging than develop a frontline onboarding program. It definitely is. Um, you know, my experience at the Internal Revenue Service, um, I was just so fortunate to work for, um, I think, a great organization. Um, you're right, I, I graduated college and IRS was my first job. I had taken a government test um, and I got this phone call from somebody in Richmond, Virginia, who said, uh, essentially, would you like to come work for the Internal Revenue Service? And I'd been out of college for a couple of months, needed a job. So I said, yes. <laughs> um, and I stayed there until 2014 when I, when I retired as an executive. But the career opportunities um, at the Internal Revenue Service are quite rich. Um, if you're a go-getter, if you're motivated, you're going to have a lot of opportunity to advance in IRS. You're going to have a lot of opportunity to try different things. Um, in my career, I worked in many different areas uh, of the service. I think IRS is, is most commonly known as the place where you file your taxes, you get a refund, and if you get in trouble, <laughs> then the compliance people knock on your door. Um, it's a lot more than that. It, that's exactly right. It's a lot more than that. It's, it's like a major company. Um, <clears throat> you know, there's IT, which, of course, is the backbone of the organization now. 
Um, there's a, a finance department that has one of the largest law firms in the world. Um, but I'm saying all that because an organization like that needs to be run by really top-notch um, executives. And IRS's executive cadre is relatively small. I think there's about 300 executives, if that, um, for an organization that's 80, 85,000 people. But um, you're given a lot of responsibility as an executive and a lot is expected of you. There's the key word. You may be given the authority and given the background to do it. They also expect a lot in return. That's right. So here's a thought. In reading over your bio, a lot was bringing up the processes of projects. And you worked on multiple projects on multiple divisions throughout your career. And I understand that there's technical aspects of things and there's people aspects of things. The, th the question gets to be, excuse the analogy here, but what came first, the chicken or the egg? Uh, <laughs> is it about getting the project done or is it about the people? How, do, how does this all kind of come together so that we create the right culture within the organization? Yeah, that's a, that's a very good question. Um, you know, when you, when you speak of culture, um, it reminds me of a, a project that um, I actually uh, conceived and led. Um, it's called the Administrative Careers Enhancement Program. And I guess it was around somewhere in the early 2000s, maybe closer to 2010, somewhere around there, that um, I noticed, as did many people in private and government, that administrative individuals, secretaries, clerks, et cetera, their job was changing. Um, you know, when I started working for, for IRS, everything was paper intensive and you needed admin support um, to do a lot of the, the tasks that had to be done, whether it was in a technical area of IRS or, you know, a non-technical area. But with uh, technology, being able to do things like send an email, right? So you're not typing a letter, you're not delivering it, you're sending an email. Technology had a major impact on um, the role of admin professionals. And my observation was these people were starting to not feel part of the team. You know, their job was changing. They were not as valued, not as important. <clears throat> so um, something had to, had to be done about that. And kind of at the same time, at least at IRS, due to budget cuts, IRS was not able to hire. So a thought that crossed my mind is, gee, we've got 11,000 administrative professionals uh, in this agency. What if we tap some of them for technical positions? Um, but it's gonna require training. It's gonna require rewriting um, position descriptions. It's going to in, uh, require mentoring and encouraging some of these individuals to want to change their jobs. Um, but you know, let's face it, there's a lot of people who don't want to change. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. So we established this program. Um, and actually part of one of the things that I think was a key to its success is we had a board of advisors 
that was um, partly made up of administrative professionals. So they actually had the opportunity to give input into the design and implementation of this program. But the goal was to ensure inclusion of these very important people and give them opportunities to shine. Um, and so the, the program was put in place, had a kind of a slow start at the beginning. Um, and you know, I, I left the organization when I retired, so I don't know what its status is today. But you know, I think that it's very important to not overlook individuals that are in an organization, especially as technology continues to have such an impact on the workplace. Did you involve the American Association of Administrative Professionals in some of what you did? Um, it's interesting that you say that because one of the things, the straight up answer to your question is no, but I did do some reading of, of um, the administrative professional careers. Yes. Um, and also some of the other people who worked on the ASEP program did the same. You know, we realized that the world of admin professionals is huge um, across the world, really. Oh, absolutely. Um, not, just, not just in government, but in private industry as well. Yes. And so broadening our knowledge of what um, that profession was all about was very helpful. It's interesting. My late wife was uh, certified as an administrative professional. Mm. And I learned over the years that, that their exam to be certified had a higher first-time fail rate than the bar and a CPA exam. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> because it was not just about typing and formatting letters. No. As you brought up, you've researched to find that everything that's involved that goes into an administrative plan. Yeah. So you you brought the people involved. You got those folks involved. You also had to get the technical side involved. How how did that impact the culture? Let's just look at it on the administrative professionals, much less. And then we can, of course, look at it as how did that impact the internal revenue and even Department of Treasury? Well, you know, one of the things that was a challenge at IRS, um, as you can imagine, an organization of that size has habits. It has certain ways of doing things. And sometimes it's difficult to change those things. <clears throat> and one of the things that was very common at IRS is an admin professional um, either worked for a group of people, like perhaps supported, you know, 10 or 12 people mm -hmm. in a group, a defined group, or worked specifically for a senior manager or an executive. And as technology had that impact on the admin professional's job, what was also happening is that that admin professional did not have eight hours worth of work a day. <laughs> um, so you would think, well, the solution is, okay, Keith, you have an um, administrative professional working for you. As, um, why don't you share this admin professional with another executive? Boom. Problem solved, right? Nope. No. No. <laughs> nope. <laughs> not changing that. Now it has changed finally. But, um, you know, it, 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 just because you can come up with a solution to a problem 
does not mean that you can wave a magic wand and put that solution in place. No, and it, it, the old analogy is you take a small boat out in the middle of a lake and that boat can turn on a dime. You take an aircraft carrier and it can take a lot longer. Yes, yeah. And the size of the internal revenue, much less Department of Treasury, which encompasses way more. Yeah. Trying to make those changes and then going into the federal government, making those bold changes does not happen overnight. That's true. That's definitely true. So let's talk about other projects. There's, there's the technical side of things. And if you want to talk about it for, uh, IT departments, we've got a lot of listeners that are involved with information technology, uh, both in the help desk as well as developmental. So we've got the DevOps folks. Um, but technical aspects are key. So when you're trying to build a team, do you look for technical skills? You're looking for personal, what, what, what do you feel is important to try and drive that? Hmm. Um, I think that one of the um, treasures of developing a, a good team is to have a diverse team. And, um, you know, I know it's been said many times, but it's probably worth repeating. Diversity doesn't mean necessarily just how somebody looks, right? Yeah. Um, but I think my experience of having folks from different backgrounds, different levels of experience has uh, really uh, been an asset to the teams that I have led. Um, I remember uh, one of the last projects that I did um, at IRS, that I led at IRS, um, <clears throat> there was an individual who um, constantly disagreed with me. <laughs> constantly disagreed with me. And I remember I somebody on good or bad, we'll see. <laughs> yeah. I remember somebody on, on my team saying, um, that person must be a real headache to you. And I said, no, not really. I said, I'm learning from her. You know, it's just her delivery was kind of an in-your-face style, but she was very smart. She was very well respected in the organization that she worked for. And I found it important to, to listen to her. Mm -hmm. um, so I think diversity of thought is, can, can be a significant asset to trying to achieve the goals of a team. You know, and you're, you're spot on with that. It's, there's so much that comes into play, level of experience, uh, background of where your experience may come from. So let's look at it. I know in the federal government, regardless of the agency, there's a lot of groups that also work with subcontractors and private sectors. So when you try and blend the government agency and the private contractors, what are some of the challenges that, that you, you faced? Well, it's, that's a very good question. And boy, did I live with that. Uh, <laughs> in one of my projects. Um, the project it was implementing um, a tax credit that was uh, actually top of the agenda for President George W. Bush. And um, so there was a lot of pressure on IRS to uh, get this program off the ground. 
Um, it also was a unique program in that it provided health benefits directly to individuals um, in several states in the United States. So I was put in charge of this. Um, it was called the Health Coverage Tax Credit, or it is called the Health Coverage Tax Credit. And I had to assemble a team that included IRS employees. It included uh, employees of state government, employees from Health and Human Services, uh, the Labor Department, and as you mentioned, um, a prime contractor as well as a, a small subcontractor. And you know, it 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 reminds me of a podcast that you did with Frank Herzog, in which okay. you were talking about teaming. And you said, uh, I think Frank said that one of the secrets to a team is to make sure that everyone knows what is expected of them. And I saw that as my challenge. You know, I looked at this diverse team, which, as I said, is an asset. But I also had to make sure that um, everybody felt valued. And so uh, in that mix, you know, just looking at the, the um, prime contractor, who had, um, you know, the largest share of the of the funding, um, <clears throat> and the smaller contractor, I divvied up that work in such a way that uh, both provided value. The prime did a lot of the IT work, um, developed the call center, um, but the smaller contractor was kind of like my right hand. They did a lot of my briefing materials. They uh, a lot of the communication that came out of the project they were responsible for. Um, likewise, the IRS employees. The IRS employees had the knowledge and experience of what we were trying to develop in this program. The IRS employees were experts in, in call centers. IRS is one of the largest call centers in the world. They were experts in delivering um, credits and benefits to individuals. So they were like the technical advisors um, to the prime contractor. Um, and then lastly was integrating the state governments. Um, state government's perspective on their citizens is quite different than the federal government's perspective. Um, so I had to tie those two things together to make sure that each state felt that they were contributing to the objectives of getting this uh, tax credit in place. Fortunately, everything worked out very well. Um, there was a lot of bonding. Um, I had a barbecue at my house, which I think, you know, it sounds like a small thing, but it, it's magical. You know, when you do something like that and you, and you bring your team members together, um, not all of them, but, you know, some of your team members together, um, people see that, gee, we're all the same and we're all trying to achieve the same goal. You know, in the last 18 to 20 months, I think we've learned to appreciate that type even more. Yes. Um, the biggest challenge people, of course, have said over the last few months has been um, they miss the water cooler moments. Yeah. They miss the camaraderie and things that they're able to do outside of work. Yes. And you know, the fact that you did that and recognize that, you know, several years ago is just that that's great leadership when you stop to think about that. Yeah. It's getting people to realize at the end of the day, project, task, technical people are still the ones putting it together. 
Another thing that I did, Greg, that I think was very helpful was we would have team meetings. Um, so leaders of all those different entities that I just talked about would participate in these meetings. And from some of my one-on-ones with the different members of the team, I knew what was bugging them or I knew a, a great idea that they had. So our team meetings weren't one of those types of team meetings where person one talks and then person two talks and person three talks. Um, you know, I would always want to make sure that if Greg had told me that, gee, he was thinking about a way to save, uh, you know, a million dollars on this project and we're in a team meeting, then I may say something to Greg about, Greg, didn't you have an idea on cost cutting? Which makes you, you know, bring that forward. So it gives everyone the opportunity to say what's on their mind. I really think that that's important. That's, that's so true because in many cases, people that may have a great idea may be um, more of an introverted style. Yes. And they need to have that pulled out of them. True. Definitely true. So great leaders understand how to do that. And I think that's, that's a testament as well. Over the years, you've also helped train executives. What is something from your years of experience, what are some things that you have recognized on how to identify potential future leaders? Let's hmm. face it. Most people get their first leadership position because they did the job right. It doesn't mean they know how to lead people. What are some things that you would look for? Well, you know, you ask me that question, it reminds me of something that, I, that I've heard. I didn't develop this um, concept, this metaphor, but I really liked it. Um, and what the person said is when it comes to identifying future leaders, um, you should always look for diamonds. When you find a diamond, polish it, polish it, polish it, and then step back and let it shine. And that's something that I've tried to do, um, even as a manager. Um, it, it's, it's, it's wonderful when you find, uh, and I'll use a term you use, a high-skill, high-will individual, or even a low-skill, high-will individual. Um, because when you find those people, there's always challenges that you can throw at them in the workplace. And that's the polishing of the diamond, right? Mm -hmm. That's where you give them the opportunity to learn, to make some mistakes, um, to, you know, start to spread their wings in the, in the, in the realm of leadership and understand what those challenges are. <clears throat> that's the polishing of the diamond that I think a leader should be doing for future you know, in, in identification and development of future leaders. And then the let them shine part. Um, I learned a lesson probably, geez, uh, I don't know. I'd probably been an executive for four or five years and I was going to go on vacation um, and I had somebody acting. Um, so this person was stepping in, he was a senior manager, but he was stepping in, in an executive position to act and run my organization for a couple of weeks. Well, shame on me. 
I continued to exchange emails with my managers while this person was acting um, and get involved. You know, I, instead of enjoying my vacation, I was still running my organization. And to his credit, when I got back and, you know, got a briefing from him on how things went, he got candid with me and he said, you know, I really didn't appreciate the fact that you were still running your organization while you were on vacation. Um, and it was a great lesson to me because I realized I did not step back and let him shine. Right. And so um, <laughs> I, in the future, you know, I committed that if I'm going to put somebody in an acting position, I'm going to let them, you know, um, take the lumps, run the organization, make the decisions and do what they think is right, because that's how you develop someone, right? That's right. how you give them the opportunity to grow. So I want to go back on that for a second. You were in an executive position at that point. Is that right? Mm -hmm. Yes. So you were in an executive position. You take a vacation. You continue to work your organization, yep. even though you had somebody in place. Mm -hmm. And you said something that I thought was profound. You learned something there. Yeah. That is evidence that regardless of where you are in your career or where you are in your life, that you can constantly learn from things. Yes. And the fact that you admit that, that that's, that's powerful. That's something most people think once they get into a leadership role, I'm boss. Yeah. And you can't do that. No, absolutely. Now, you mentioned not. about finding, look for diamonds and that's great. So often, though, especially in today's world, we're looking at a great resignation of places. So we're hiring. Mm -hmm. Sometimes now we're not exactly finding diamonds. Right. We're finding lumps of coal. <laughs> <laughs> and they have to be pressed. What are some things that you would do to mentor or nurture to develop a potential leader? What would you see in somebody that you felt could allow them to be polished and shine? I think the more you understand an individual, um, it helps you with being able to help that person, um, you know, grow and mature at work. Um, I think that for a leader to, to hire an individual and spend time with that individual, um, what you're doing is you're making an investment in, in making that individual better so that your organization will run better. Uh, if you hire the individual and then um, expect that everything is just gonna work out perfectly, you know, that the person's gonna go to, the, to whatever the training is that there's going to be, and then suddenly they're going to be a good performer at work. I think you're doing a disservice to your organization as a leader, and I think mm -hmm. you're doing a disservice to that new employee. Um, Spending time with the employee, understanding their motivations, understanding some of their personal challenges. <clears throat> hey, you know, that's all part of being a leader. Um, understanding what their interests are. You know, we talked about this a little bit earlier. Not everybody wants to lead. Not everybody wants to lead. Some people want to support others. Some people want a technical job and just do that technical job very well. Um, I know at IRS, there are a lot of 
I'll call them technicians, whether it's in IT or in auditing of tax returns, whatever it is, whatever area of IRS. But there are a lot of technical people who love their technical work and also love the fact that they are respected for their knowledge of their technical work. Um, And so, you know, when you know that, when you're leading an organization, that's when you can let them shine. That's when you can let them um, show off what they know and be a, a valuable contributor to an organization. You know, there's one other thing I need to add to that. Um, look for diamonds, polish diamonds, let them shine. The fourth thing is let them go. Um, you know, I've experienced just excellent employees leaving my organization, you know, because they got promoted or whatever. And yes, it does hurt, (laughs) but you got to let them go. I mean, that's what part of developing leaders is all about is um, let them move on. Mm -hmm. Um, So I just wanted to add that little bit. No, and that's key. And one of the greatest people that did that was the legendary football coach, Bill Walsh. Mm -hmm. Yes. If you look at the genealogy of football coaches yes, today, that's right. They come yeah. back up to him and he was able to polish them and shine them and then teach, which they in turn then taught others, which they in right. turn taught others. Absolutely. Yeah. And that's, that's key. So this is going to be a tough question. How easy is it to let someone fail? Because failing may be part of their polishing. Yes, absolutely. I mean, I failed. I've made mistakes. Anybody who says they haven't failed, they've never tried. Let's be clear. (laughs) I mean, I've made mistakes and you learn from those mistakes. Um, I think that if you, when you're polishing that diamond, if you nurture them too much um, so that they think, you know, everything is perfect, you're not really developing that individual exactly. the way you should. Um, they need to have the opportunity to do the things that leaders do um, in managing an organization, in managing resources, in uh, timely achieving milestones and deadlines. They need to face all of that. Mm-hmm. We also had a guest on the podcast, I think, two, three weeks ago. I can't remember now. And he talked about in today's world, let's take time to celebrate our failures because when we celebrate our failures, we now have a chance to grow and learn from it and shine and become even stronger. True. Yeah. As a whole organization. Yeah. Yeah. So I want you to think back for a moment. Maybe you were not in the executive level, but possibly a senior level manager and what advice would you give newer managers coming into an organization? Now, there's certain things you would give them, get them to do to help nurture their team so that you're, you're once, maybe even twice removed from their actual functions. But what would you tell those managers to try and do? How, how would you develop them? Um, yeah, a couple of things come to mind. I think... Um, one of the first things that, that I have said in the past um, to folks in that position is to recognize that your staff is your resource and your staff 
collectively as your brain trust. You don't have to have all the answers. That's not your job as a manager. Um, your job is to manage your resources and get the most out of them. And if you as a manager think that um, you're the problem solver, um, that you're the brains of your organization, you're headed down the wrong path. Um, and you're headed down the wrong path for two reasons. One, you're ignoring that team of resources that you have. You're ignoring all that brain power. Two, um, you are creating a character of yourself that your employees won't care for. Um, you Expand know, Expand on that for me for a moment. What do you mean you're creating a character? I'm, I'm not sure I follow you. You're creating, your employees are seeing you as a know-it-all. Um, your employees are seeing you as, um, well, Keith will figure it out. You know, he doesn't need us. You don't want to have that uh, kind of team. You know, you, you want to have a team, as a manager, you want to have a team in which all of your employees respect you, in which all of your employees feel that they can approach you. Um, you want to have a team, a functioning team, that is collaborative and working well together. And that's the responsibility of the manager, not to be... Um, not to be the know-it-all, not to be um, the, the technical expert of an organization. Uh, and I've heard, sadly, I've heard managers, um, I've heard executives say that um, it's my job to know more than any of my staff. Personally, I don't, I don't agree with that. I would, I would agree with you. You don't have to know the answer. You just have to know where to get the answer. That's right. That's right. Mm -hmm. So if we stop to think for a moment, somebody who's looking at becoming a manager, whether within the Internal Revenue Service, federal government, private sector, wherever, or it could just be somebody who's got an idea to run a business and they're to the point they're, they got to do more than just themselves. What's the one thing one piece of advice that you would give a new leader coming into an organization today. Hmm. Well, it's definitely going to revolve around people. Um, can I, can I, can I come up with two things? <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, there's one tool that, any leader can use. Um, many don't, but I, I think it's so simple that whether you're a new manager or a, a new executive, or you've been in an organization for a long time, um, and that is to meet with a frontline employee. Um, you know, if you are a, a, an executive in an organization, and you take the time to meet with one of your frontline employees just to say, um, how do you do your job? What impediments um, are slowing you down? What is something that we could do that would make you more productive? Um, what do you like about your job? What do you not like about your job? Just have those kinds of informal conversations with your employees. 
you'd be surprised what you could learn. If there is one thing I wish I had done more of as an executive and as a senior manager, I wish I had done more of that. Um, it is absolutely a very powerful um, tool as a leader uh, to use. And it's very effective because as you do that, you know, as you meet periodically with your frontline employees, and I'm saying do this without their manager being in the room. I'm, you know, it's, it's you and the employee, or if the employee is, you know, you work in DC and your employees in Portland, Oregon, fine, get on the phone, do a Zoom call or whatever, same thing. Mm-hmm. But what happens well, let me, let me is- just, if I, Excuse me for interrupting. Sure. Doing that, do you feel that you are usurping the power of that direct manager? I knew you were gonna ask me that. <laughs> um, and the answer is no. Okay. Um, because from my perspective, um, I'm probably talking to that manager more than I, um, I probably talk to that manager, you know, very frequently. And I rarely talk to the frontline employee. We're all part of a team. Mm-hmm. Um, and this is not a, a gotcha, you know, this is about learning more about my organization and how I can help my employees be of value. Okay. So but I think also, at, go ahead. Let's look at this. I sure. agree with you there. Now let's kind of turn the table a little bit. If that employee is having a challenge and they do an end run around their manager to you, that would be more usurping power. Am I right? Oh, yes, definitely. Yeah. I mean, if that happened, my first question would be, have you discussed this with your manager? Okay. You know, I I see that as as, as very different. Okay. Um, But I I, want to make sure we drew the correlation and the difference there. Yeah, it's good you did that. I think that, um, you know, when you do, as I described, employees, most employees, are they're charmed by it. You know, they really feel, wow, I guess I'm a valuable part of this organization. Um, But the other thing is, as you start doing that, employees talk and the word will spread. Wow, we've got an executive who's really interested in what we do. Um, There was a commissioner at the Internal Revenue Service, um, Commissioner uh, Koskinen. He would have lunch almost every single day with a random employee in the IRS. And boy, did the word spread on that. You know, here's the commissioner of the Internal Revenue Service who has found the time to have lunch in the cafeteria with the frontline employee. That's powerful. It is. It is. That's powerful. Because one of the key words that pops up in probably 90% of our podcasts is what that the benefit of the commissioner doing that or any executive doing that is a level of trust starts to build. Right. Absolutely. And as you know, trust is paramount mm-hmm. on any team. Yes. That's, that's great. Now, you mentioned there were two things. Okay. Did we just cover one of them, right? Yes. Um, I think another one is um, to give 
opportunities for employees to show their stuff, so to speak. Um, and if you think about it, <clears throat> the, uh, you know, it doesn't matter the domain of work. It can be IT, it can be um, HR, it can be policy work. If you've got an employee that has done something good, let that employee show off what they've done and find an appropriate way for the employee to show it off. There are some employees that, I don't know, they could have uh, developed a unique computer program, but they're not interested in standing up in front of a team and saying, you know, look what I developed. Um, but, you know, there can be other ways in which you highlight what that employee has done. I remember when I was trying to um, develop more, um, it was when I was in, uh, in human resources and I wanted us to move more towards the type of training that's done today. Um, so much at work in which it's just in time training. Um, it's videos. It's those, those, those methodologies, mm -hmm. which at IRS, um, we weren't doing that. We weren't doing much of that, I should say. Right. Um, and there were some people who didn't agree with that. You know, they felt, well, that's not training. Training should be in a classroom, you know, the formal traditional style, which of course does have value. But um, one of the people in, in this organization caught on to this idea and he started developing these train, if I could be used the term training apps in which you would have, mm -hmm. um, you know, these snippets that are focused on a specific topic um, <clears throat> that could be delivered very quickly uh, to individuals to learn a new skill. And um, as he developed them, you know, what I did is I gave him the opportunity to demo them to his peers. And guess what happened? They started developing them, you know? So it's, I think that when you give employees a pathway to be able to show off what they've done in some form, um, that too goes a long ways towards um, having a culture and a team in which yeah. um, you're, you're going to be more, much more productive. And culture of a positive or negative, because every organization has a culture, can be like a snowball effect. Yeah. And as you start developing that, people start to realize they can do that then they start to get engaged. Right. And so that increases employee engagement, which increases your overall culture, which creates the collaboration, which helps focus on the individual teamwork, which in turn starts to drive <laughs> it all again. That's how it works. That's exactly how it works. Yeah. Keith, we've talked a lot in the last 35 to 45 minutes, and I've learned a lot. It's been a privilege to have you on board here with us today. Um, you know, I'd like to have you back six months from now. Let's talk about things as we start to see it, because you're still doing some consulting work um, outside of uh, your internal revenue. You've retired, but you're working to help still support and do the culture and teach the training. So I think that's Thank powerful. Thank you. Uh, thanks for joining us here on the Teamwork Advantage. You know, folks, once a week on the Teamwork Advantage, 
You can learn ideas that you can start to use immediately. And Keith Taylor has shared with us today several ideas that you can start to put into place immediately. You know, until next week, I want you to remember having a good day is just being average. We know that when you listen to this, this individual podcast, the teamwork advantage, you're not average. So today and every day, go out and make today an exceptional day. Take care. Bye-bye. This has been the Teamwork Advantage with Greg Gregory. To learn more about how Greg can help your organization develop a powerful winning culture, visit teamsrock.com. That's T-E-A-M-S-R-O-C-K.com. Be sure to join Greg next week when he interviews another exciting and powerful thought leader on the Teamwork Advantage. Until then, as Greg says, make sure you have a great week because a good week is just being average.